0: This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Welcome to episode thirty-four of the No Stroke podcast. I'm Dave Dancer. I'm here with my co-host Michael Garrow.
1: David, I, you're a little under the weather this evening, so so thanks for uh, coming in and, and doing this intro. I, um, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, put your your voice out and you know have you get even raspier here. So we'll make it a we'll make it a short intro <laughs> this you. week. Um, you know, I think we're really excited. Um, you know, we're going to be covering a, a quite an interesting company uh, that's been doing some cool stuff in the AFib space. Um, and, you know, we, we'd we like to get this episode and, you know, hope listeners are able to tune in, you know, when we when we release, because it's, you know, September is AFib Awareness Month, right? And, you know, AFib is something that a lot of us know about. Um, but there's, there's a lot, lot that we uncovered in this episode um but before we get started i know you wanted to to highlight we have two pieces for in the news that are themed to afib so why don't you kick off and and then i'll go and we'll we'll get right into the discussion
0: Uh, uh, absolutely thanks mike and um i just wanted to we should acknowledge uh you know While we're, you know, doing this session and getting it out for AFib, uh, you know, to push the end of the month here, but we're going to get this out in time, um, we should acknowledge in the news certainly what's happening in Florida right now as we speak with, you know, Hurricane Ian and, you know, um, looks like there's, there are going to be some lives lost there and we don't know, it seems like it crossed right through the state is picking up steam on now the Atlantic coast coming up. So I uh, wish everyone, you know, and hopefully out of harm's way if you're not already, but certainly there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of cleanup and a lot of heartache after that. So, um, we wish everyone the best there. And, um, yeah, we, um, you know, we've been, we've been busy this month. Um, and this was a really good one to get, um, recorded earlier today, we had a great guest. And, um, I just want to, I want to touch on, um, and doing a little research for this show, the, the, um, you know, AFib is is something certainly one of the top risk factors for, for stroke. And there's a great website that I want to call out on this called, um, it's called stopafib.org. And I, you know, when, you know, I, I've never understood a lot of times well how, how, um, you know, uh, causes get, um, get recognized at the, at the national or the federal or the state level. And this, uh, um, this particular organization, again, it's stop um, for patients by patients, but really, um, is well done. And I'm going to put it in the show notes because it, it talks about how that their mission to actually raise awareness for AFib, and then it gets into the different types of AFib, which I wasn't completely aware of. So, in the sake of time and my voice, I'm just going to leave that as a as a great resource to um, to refer to, and acknowledge the um, the founder there, uh, Melanie True Hills, who writes a really good um, blog uh, about how AFib and her site was founded and how it became. Uh, to be an, an awareness, part of an awareness month here. So as we close it out, I wanted to recognize that.
1: Cool. And yeah, super important work, you know, and, and obviously, you know, it's getting a lot of the attention this month. Um, one other thing that, you know, was was just just released, I believe it was earlier this month, um, is a an, a research study that is in partnership with Northwestern University, John Hopkins University, and apple um so what they're trying to do is you know the apple watch has gotten a lot of attention over you know the last few iterations of, of the watch that now it's able to detect afib um and as we will learn with with our interview today with james um you know a lot of these detections are often false positive it's very hard to get these accurate readings unless it's a continuous monitor um but obviously you know we're we're in the early days. Hopefully, innovation will get there. Um, what this research study is trying to do, though, is cut down on the usage of blood thinners that are often used to prevent strokes from those who have AFib or at a higher risk. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty interesting approach that they're taking. Um, you know, they're—I know my mother, I'm sure possibly you, many other stroke survivors that are out there. Um, you know, are on blood thinners for life. And that causes a lot of other health issues, right? So yeah, it'll be interesting, kind of see what comes of that. I believe it's a I was looking at it, it's like a it's a few year long research study um that's gonna be going on. But yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on it, you know, see see if we could either you know, maybe bring in one of the researchers who are on the team, kind of get some insight there, which would be pretty cool. But today's guest uh is is James Amwood, and he's from a company called Cardio CardioCole are, you know, a, a nice tagline that was behind. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, you'll see um the tagline for the company, saving lives using voice. Um, and, you know, they're using the power of voice technology to ultimately detect atrial fibrillation and irregular heartbeats. So fascinating, you know, approach that they're taking. Um, James himself just joined the company about a year and a half ago, but has an extensive career uh, within healthcare, leading organizations, heading business development, and has a background in chemistry. So he brings a lot to the table. Um, They're based out of Israel, um, doing a lot of work in the EU and just planning to kind of launch their their initial phase of trials and, and get regulatory approval here in the US. So um, yeah, well, a company that we'll definitely keep our eye on and, you know, d- um, once clinical trials do become available, um, it, you know, we'll be into, we'll let the audience know if you guys, you know, have any interest to reach out and learn more. Um, we'll, we'll be sure to get you in touch. <laughs>
0: I just like to add, I, I know we want to get into, um, just pay attention to, um, you know, we think of AFib with stroke risk, increased stroke risk, um, often, un, un, you know, unrecognized is, The higher risks that we do touch on in this interview, of you know, leading to possible early dementia and 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 kidney you know, kidney disease, kidney failure. So, um, really, um, uh, well, you know, this is a a great interview, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to add that because that's yeah, that was a good point. Yeah, yeah. something that
1: I I wasn't really, and I I don't think that's commonly shared, right? Like absolutely, everybody thinks AFIB, everybody thinks a stroke, Um, but yeah, a lot of other. A lot of other, um, you know, conditions result from this. So, yeah, um, you know, again, trying to do our part here. You know, we're we're happy to bring you bring you this episode. Um, if you if you do enjoy it, please share, like, like, subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast. Um, you know, you might not think it helps, but it certainly does. And you know, with that, here is the interview with with James Amhud. Hi, James. Welcome to the No Stroke Podcast. Really nice to have you here today. Great being here. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So I think we have to thank um, podcast Francesca Massa. how I, I ended up coming across your work and what you're doing, um, you know, timely as we're, we're sitting at the last few days here of AFib Awareness Month in, in the U.S. So, you know, it's a topic that is top of mind for a lot of folks you know, who are stroke survivors, but also one of the top risk factors, which, are, you know, we'll, we'll love to dive into and understand more. Um, but you're taking a really interesting approach um, to treat AFib and, de- and detect it. So I'm excited to dive into that. Um, but before we we do that, you know, let let's cover you know kind of you know what what got you to call, some of your professional background. I believe you uh you spent time at Sharing Plow, which again you know a, a good friend of the the podcast, Jim Joyce. You guys might have crossed paths with um, in your day there. But yeah, please bring us up to speed, kind of in your background where you are today.
2: So my background is uh, physical chemistry, industrial engineering, and an MBA, and I spent most of my professional life uh, in the field of healthcare. I started out with the big companies like Teva, Sharing Plough, Perigo, and uh, in different positions uh, and senior roles, and then I moved on to startup companies in the field of healthcare, um, raising a lot of money, managing the companies, doing deals with fortune 500 fortune 100 companies and then i was approached basically by the seed investors in cardio together with the founders that were looking for someone to take the company to the next stage from a commercial perspective and i joined the company a year and a half ago and uh i joined it for two reasons first of all i thought uh, the field of voice and the ability to both detect and to monitor Uh, different illnesses starting out with atrial fibrillation was amazing like mind-blowing and the potential is enormous that's where the world is going and the second i really had a good connection to the people and the founders in the company
0: that's interesting background james and thanks for joining the show uh, today um i'm you know as a stroke survivor i'm i'm definitely in tune to the term AFib, um, can, for our audience, can you tell us like what makes it so hard to detect AFib and, and, and what makes it such a risk factor for stroke and, and, and other conditions?
2: So the main problem with AFib is that uh, a lot of the so-called devices out there and the, the, gold, the gold standard today is an ECG are very short uh, in duration of monitoring for the detection of AFib on the one hand, and they, on the other hand, are very costly. So they don't reach a lot of the populations that are hard to reach or hard to reach. And for those reasons mainly, the actual detection yield is very low. Meaning at the end of the day, it's not like there aren't good solutions out there, but they're costly and they don't actually monitor those patients for on an ongoing basis for long periods of time, maybe besides the implantable loop recorders, ICMs, things like that.
0: That's, that's really interesting. And, and I did, I listened to a recent uh, podcast or show you were on at uh, WTF Health and referenced that around 5%, only 5% are detected. Is that, do I, did I interpret that right?
2: Yeah, there's an article by Friedman here that was uh, published in one of the leading clinical papers that states the percentage of, uh, not again talking about the implantables, for example, of uh, less than 5%. That's a a clinical paper. But remember, the problem with AFib is that because AFib, especially in the paroxysmal uh, paroxysmal stages, is so intermittent and up to 90% of the episodes are actually asymptomatic it's very hard. I look at it as like a, looking for a needle in a haystack. If you have five seconds now, in a, in, a, in a month's time, you can have five minutes, and in half a year, you can have two hours. How are you going to pick it up if you aren't constantly monitoring those patients? Now, when you look at the studies that have come out, the stop stroke and, and the loop study, you'll see that what they advise, especially those that are what's so-called the ticking bombs, those that have actually got a high burden of the disease, of those that we should be looking out for those that have got the high risk factors and those at the end of the day that don't have, have an occasional episode of atrial fibrillation
1: and it, another thing that you know really caught me off and obviously i've I've really thought of AFib and stroke risk, but can you talk to some of the other diseases we cover? I know you mentioned, you know, early stage kidney disease. You know, and there's a list of other conditions that result from AFib, correct? Yeah,
2: they're a list of different risk factors on the one hand, and on the other hand, it also talks about, uh, uh, you know, what can actually happen to to you. So, of course, stroke is the most common. But there's an increase in myocardial infarction, in heart failure, in kidney failure, in dementia. And those are all PA in the literature, of course. Those are additional complications. And the percentage of the patients that have got atrial fibrillation are much higher than the normal population.
1: So, so you're really, and again, you know, you're, when we, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, that, that it, the ability for voice, right, to to start to detect this. So you know, this is a an approach. You know, I, I you know that really we haven't seen before. So I, I'd love for a, you know spend some time, like, like what's this roadmap look like? I know you've been you know with the company for a year and the year and a half, but I, I'm sure you've you kind of gone back understand you know what's gotten you to this point. So who's crazy idea was this, and like how you know how did you get to where you are today with it? So
2: the crazy idea was actually one of the founders who's got a very, I would say, rich background in healthcare and uh, as well as in medical device and in startups in this field. And like a lot of these things, his mother had a stroke. And uh, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't imagine why in today's day and age, there's nothing that's very cost effective that can actually monitor patients over long periods of time in a cost-effective way. And uh, that's what actually brought in, uh, looking at literature, his background, together with three other founders. So there's a combination of telecommunications, telehealth, in the experience of the founders that have started multiple startups over the period of their lives, that successfully sold, merged them, taken in public. And that's how he started the company. It was his brainchild.
0: Yeah, I love the more we interview uh, experts and in, and in innovators in this area. It's it's always resonates with with me, and I know Mike as well. With the mission driven, what what was that purpose, and it was filling a, a need an unmet need, and and you know, I you know, I I went down the path, and I've shared with our audience, so, you know, I'm. I'm a stroke survivor. Um, unfortunately, learned about AFib when when I was trying to rule out what but they're trying to find the cause of my stroke. So today, some, you know, 15, 16 years removed and still, you know, living with life after stroke and helping other survivors. So like I'm very like, you know, I I I'm I'm one that spent the extra money on the on the on the Apple Watch that had the detection. Uh, you know, I, I've got my little, you know, I got my little uh cardio mobile you know device that I check and 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 I did it I do it because now living in life after I you know I was one that had to wear that halter monitor when they were trying to figure out so I had you know I know the heavy burden and you know accessing is so like can you talk about what you know what makes voice technology and, and cardio call like how is it different from these other solutions can you talk a little bit more about you know how it operates in in the background the way I understand it
2: Yeah, so one thing I want to point out, the gold standard according to the guidelines is an ECG. We don't replace an ECG. What we do is we funnel the patients, especially the high-risk patients, uh, and we raise a flag. So we adjunctive, and we actually notify the physician uh, or the patient, depending on the so-called medical legal background, depending on the country, if there could be a risk here. And then the physician will will actually then decide if to give the patient an ECG or what to do. So we funnel those patients because of the low detection yield. On the one hand, as I mentioned, the high risk patients. But actually, David, in your case, we also follow patients that are post cardiac version or post ablation. So if you think about those enormous percentage of patients that are post cardiac version, post ablation, that actually the return of AFib. As they've got a high chance of the return of AFib? What do you do with those patients over long periods of time again? And I'm not talking about the enormous percentage. I don't know, there's no real literature, but what I've heard is numbers of 50, 60% of the people either stop or don't start their NARCs, their novel anticoagulants, their blood thinners within a two year period. What do you do with all those patients over time to monitor them? If If it was me, I think it would be very important for me to make sure I'm doing the most in order to avoid having, uh, you know, the return of
1: natural fibrillation. Definitely. And and I think, you know, we you know, we talked originally, you mentioned there's kind of two different approaches that you're taking here, right? One, I believe a spot check, and then another more of a, a continue continuous check. So do you want to kind of dive into both of those product lines? Yeah, So so, just to to clarify, we don't do
2: continuous. What we do is we we've got two different products. The first product is you do a voice test, or you give a voice sample twice a day, for, for five seconds. That's like a spot check, but you do it on a regular basis, and it doesn't have to do if you feel palpitations or you don't feel palpitations for the simple reason that, as I mentioned, up to ninety percent of the episodes are asymptomatic. So you've got an ongoing you remember the past, you can actually do, we've got a, a few patents, one of them is adaptive testing, so we can schedule a different tests depending on the outcome, if we spot AFib or not. <clears throat> That's the first product. And the second product we've already completed the proof of concept on is what you call natural speech or free speech. And that will basically be run in the background again. We've got eyes as a data pr- privacy, and we've gone through uh, a different uh, regulations on that as well. We're not listening to the voice, but we take vocal biomarkers from the voice. Whenever the person will be talking in the second product, and then we'll be able to check if the person's got atrial And that will happen at a much higher frequency because that the person talks much more than taking two samples a day. Although getting back to the loop and stop throw studies uh, you can see that there's a lot of value in doing two samples a day, but on an ongoing basis. Uh,
0: quick follow-up question there. So, so the two samples of tests are 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 is a, is a user calling that up through what platform is is that on? Is it apped like I, I'm thinking in like in terms of with the emergence of these voice assistants in the home and and is that is that something that they can activate that that baseline or those those samples that's needed
2: yeah, so in clinical trials david what we did is both in the hospital and the community setting we've tested it out in, in over 700 patients to date what we used was the person's own mobile phone in the community trial we did and we did a landline so we told the patient to go home and to use, to give the voice samples twice a day. In this case, it was actually three times a day in the, in the community setting, in the clinical trial. And with their, own natural, with their own phone in their natural surroundings. So we didn't give them any special tablet or anything special. That was the first product that we actually, uh, the, the, that was the trial that we did in the community. And we haven't tested it yet on the smart speakers. But we assume that it can work on any voice user interface. But as I mentioned, the most common are the mobile phones or landline because a lot of people, you know, they've got they haven't got smartphones. They've got phones or mobile phones, but not smartphones. And it's actually used um, as an application. So the application can sit like you download an application from the from the app store. But what we've done is we've launched a product already locally here in Israel, and we give, it to pay, we give it to patients on the back of a telemonitoring company's application so we don't add in additional applications or apps to the person's phone, and that's the way it can be used. So the preferred way is to use it, of course, with, uh, with a third party that's already either a HMO or a provider, or a payer, or what other, other people's apps and fits on it exactly. And it reminds the patient in the first sample, remind, in the first instance when I said two voice samples a day, it reminds the patient with an SMS, for example, you know, good morning, Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith. Um, don't forget to please take your medication and please give us a voice sample for five seconds.
1: Fascinating. So- so you know i think as a vetted healthcare man you understand that you know to bring these technologies into the patient's home right it's that regulatory pathway that's often you know the, the largest hurdle but it sounds like you know you're you've been making progress both in israel as well as some some uh, steps in europe um and i believe you know the us is a whole new beast for you as as you'll, you'll soon find out um but can you talk us to some you know talk about that regulatory pathway you know what approach are you guys taking um, for those different markets?
2: Yeah, so we're, a, we're a, first and foremost, we're a medical company. We not we don't deal, uh, our focus in the first product at present is uh, not wellness, but medical. That means we, we, we're getting and seeking, as you mentioned, the right regulatory approvals. For the US specifically, we've already done a, a regulatory assessment, a market assessment, Uh, we've already working with the company now that we plan to submit a pre-sub for the FDA. That means at the end of the day, we seek, we're going to seek FDA
1: approval for our app. That's super exciting because, you know, this is certainly, you know, a technology and and a solution that, that should be available to to many patients. And, you know, congratulations on the steps you know you, you guys have made for this um and I think it's it's timely you know that we're having this discussion one because of obviously afib awareness month you know it's it's something that you know a lot of folk a lot of our listeners are are quite a- attuned to but also you know and I don't know if it, it's come out recently enough but you know David mentioned the Apple watch right and its ability to to track afib um although You know, there are a lot of false positives, of course, but, you know, technology is improving and, you know, we're going to have different solutions there. But there was an interesting um, study that was announced. Um, I think it's like, you know, however many millions of dollars were funded towards it with, I believe, John Hopkins and um, another hospital system, but really with the approach of instead of of a, a patient with AFib constantly needing to take a blood thinner, right? And be on this medication long term, which causes other h- health issues being on the medication, they're trying to take more of a targeted approach, right? And I'm sure you're aware of this study and some of the work that's happening here, um, to really be prescriptive, you know, when when that AFib, you know, Instance might be happening, then you're taking the medication, right? So it's quite interesting. But I, I just love to kind of get your perspective on that study and, and and kind of the approach that they're thinking to take, and maybe how your technology could could benefit. So
2: our focus uh, is first of all to flag uh, the potential of afib when it happens, or to state alternatively that there's a certain burden of disease. At the end of the day, it's the physician's decision how he wants to treat the patient, when he wants to give the medication, when he wants to time the ECG and all the rest of things. But I think the, the main, uh, getting back to what you mentioned, uh, wearables out there, uh, Apib uh, predominantly uh, is uh, a is something for the population of the 65 plus. The European Society of Cardiology calls for mass screening of everybody over the age of 65. Yes, it doesn't appear in the HA guidelines, but I think there's a strong awareness of risk factors and when a patient can actually get atrial fibrillation. And we also know from the literature and from talking to a lot of tier one key opinion leaders in the US that have, by the way, also invested personally some of them into the company at that the elderly don't like or well, the people over the age of 65 don't like wearing wearables and it hasn't caught on dramatically and therefore the voice is the most natural thing to do that's first of all and second of all i think it's very important of course that you want something that's cost effective and you want to also reach the populations are, as i mentioned previously hard to reach and hardly reach so I think there's an enormous population out there at the end of the day that can greatly benefit from our solution.
0: Yeah, I, I like the way you described, um, you know, the, you, you would be prompted to do your testing, the, the ease of use, you would, you would then say, you know, reminder about medication, can you do this? Um, and then, uh, of course, maybe get your daily dose of the no stroke podcast could be that third item that we could put into the work. Oh, no, just kidding. There, Great idea. Maybe someday. <laughs> um, so we have, we, after we uh, air, air some of these episodes, we always, we always get folks that come back to us after and say, i never heard about this. How do I get more involved?" because is there any clinical trials or any uh, like if, if patients or caregivers want to, you know, uh, reach out for a loved one or, or someone directly affected, how, is there any, anything that we can share to to maybe get them involved in future, maybe trials too?
2: So I can't say anything, mention any names. I can tell you that we are gearing up and we've got the initial start of uh, both discussions and the initial engagement with some of the tier one US hospitals uh, to do clinical trials. But I would say still, it's a bit early days, but of course, The emphasis there is, of course, to to get
1: that know-how, that experience, and that testing in the U.S. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to continue to follow your journey, and you know, make sure we're staying in touch, and and you know, flag when when those trials become available. Um, So, as we wrap up here, we we finish every show with our magic wand question. So, we're gonna hand you the magic wand here, James, and. As an expert within the healthcare field, you've seen the pain points for many stroke survivors, uh, both on the detection and then rehab side. How would you take that magic wand and and redesign the stroke care pathway? So as an adjunctive uh, solution out
2: there, what I would look predominantly in doing is having on everybody's mobile phone, smart speaker or whatever voice user interface an app that can actually, first and foremost, be able to monitor and also raise a flag for the possible detection of AFib. So I wanted to have everybody, no matter their means, again, the hard to reach, the hardly reached, and of course, increasing the detection yield
1: dramatically compared to where it is today. So, well, yeah, James, you know, thank you, thank you again for the time um you know excited to to see you know what comes here over the next you know months and years with with the with the company i think it obviously has a great leader at its hands so continue all the good work um you know and if we, again we could be of any assistance you know with with trials or anything kind of getting you know survivors caregivers involved please reach out and you know we'll we'll continue to highlight some of your work as we see it come in yeah. so thank you and Ray, James, I, and
2: David, thank you. It's been my I, pleasure, and I really enjoyed it. And I wish everybody out there that uh, they'll have this option available for their choice as quickly as possible.
0: And I love that tagline on the wall behind you for our YouTube listeners: uh, "Using voice to save lives." So I think that says it all. Thank you, James, today for your time and your sharing your expertise. Thank you.